I'm, I don't say this because it's a victim thing. I say this because it's a real thing. My life is a grind. It is hard. And there's times that I choose my heart and there's times where my body and my mind go, I don't care what you want to do today. This is what we're doing. And this is how it's going to be. Welcome to the Hybrid Human Podcast. My name is Zach Ryan, and each week, myself and my co-host Chase Price will be exploring the intersection of wellness, business, entrepreneurship, and more. Get ready to learn, grow, and evolve with us on the Hybrid Human Podcast. Ready to rock? Uh, Yes, sir. Cool. Chris, what's up, man? Chilling, man. Good to be here. Yeah. Appreciate you coming on. No, I really thank you guys. Yeah, man, we're, we're super excited. Um, I want you to do a, a deeper intro, but, you know, we talk about the hybrid human, uh, you know, hybrid, pod, hybrid human podcast, hybrid athlete, all the stuff that we've been talking about. And I feel like you really embody what this podcast is all about. Husband, father, you know, uh, ex-professional baseball player, business owner, like would love for you to dive deeper, you know, for the people listening, who is Chris um, and c- kind of talk us through, you know, what you think of when you think of hybrid athlete. It's interesting because when being a bigger guy and I joke with people all the time that my soccer career ended because I couldn't keep up on the long distance runs anymore. And so when I think of hybrid, you know, you think of someone who can run and lift and be mobile and, and all those things. And so I think as I've, gone on my health journey, which we'll get into, to your point you were saying before about challenges, being able to challenge myself has been something that's been really important to me. And being a hybrid athlete, not just being strong in the weight room or being able to hit a ball far or run long distances or sprint, you know, being able just to to do everything. I think the biggest thing that has helped me is I don't, and it takes a while to do it, but when you put the ego away and you put the pride away and you're able just to sit there and go, was I better today? Was, was I the same? What can I learn? How can I grow? I think that's how you start to really embody all the hybrid aspects. And it's super easy to compare yourself, mm-hmm. but we are not all built the same. Yeah. But, you know, you're in a very unique class of people when you even make up your mind to step out of the box and try something different. And I think that's what really has been cool for me about the hybrid aspect of life. I grew up in New York, right outside New York City. Loved baseball my whole life. I'm one of four kids. And my older brother is six and a half years older than me. So growing up with him in the backyard with all his friends, I can remember being five, six years old. And that's where my my competitive spirit really grew because I'd be in the backyard playing against them, losing by one run in the bottom of the last inning on a walk-off, coming in, flipping out. And my mom was like, you're going to be fine. (laughs) (laughs) This kid's going to figure it out. You're going to be fine. And that's where my competitive spirit really grew. And I loved sports growing up. Um, obviously, you know, baseball just took me a long way. I was a all American in high school and went to Notre Dame out of high school, played there, 
And when I was there, we were number two in the country. So when I got there, I went as a two-way guy. And I wasn't sure, you know, how things play out. But when you're on one of the best teams in the country, you got to wait your turn. And it's all good. I mean, you learn from the guys in front of you and be patient. But the thing that changed was went there to, with the ability to hit and pitch. But when I went in for my meeting at the end of the year, my coach said, we think you're a terrible hitter and we just want you to pitch. And which would have been fine if I got 100 chances. But I only got one at bat. And there's no way that I could have gone from one of the best hitters in the country to one of the worst hitters in the country over the course of nine months without even getting a chance. So I decided that I was going to leave Notre Dame. Uh, I transferred down to Elon University where my career took off there and got drafted by the Rockies, played four and a half years with the Rockies and another two years of pro ball with independent ball. And all the while, though, my sophomore year of college, last year, last play of the game, in one of the last games of the year, I was in a collision at first base. Pitcher caught the ball, threw a bad throw. I jumped up, caught it. Guy ran into me at the same time and blew out my shoulder. Just total reconstructive surgery. And so that summer I got home. This is probably like first week of June. And so by the time I got home, all the internships were already underway. And my mom was like, look, you're going to have surgery in six, seven weeks. Like, you need to get a job. So I went to the computer and typed out a advertisement for some lessons and threw some clip art on there and put it up around town. And that's how Vasami training started. Now, this was in New York? This was in New York. Yeah. Okay. So back up a little bit, sort of growing up in New York, All-American in high school. Talk us through that. I mean, that's an, that's an interesting thing. That's a cool high school journey. I would say you're of the 1% of people who probably have experienced being an All-American athlete in high school. So what was that process like? What was the recruitment process like? I know that's a big part of your business today. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear it from your perspective. Like, sure. how was it going through it as the individual, you know, being recruited? We get a bad rap up north. It's a little bit better today, but back then we get a bad rap because we didn't have social media back then. So guys from the north didn't know how to play baseball. It was an outdoor sport. It was a southern sport. It was a, it was a good weather sport. And so every chance that I had to go prove myself that I was capable of being one of the best players in the country, I was always under an extra microscope. And I, if, if the guy from Florida hit one home run, I had to hit three. If the guy from Florida hit pitch 90, I had to throw 94. Like it was just one of those things where you started to realize very quickly that there was just a little bit of extra that you had to prove along the way. And so going through regional showcases and then going to some national showcases and then I played for USA Baseball, going to the area code games um, out in California. I remember one of the best, one of the things that really propelled me was go to the area code games, which is the top 150 guys in the country Go play. You have to be recruited by a scout. You have to go try out. You have to make the team. Top 150 guys just play against each other for a week. And there's a home run derby at the beginning of the week. And I was in the home run derby. And 
of course, because we were the Northeast team, we, me and my teammate were the first two guys to go. They were like, all right, let's get these guys out of the way. And first pitch, I smoked one over the left center field wall. And that's when, you know, 400 scouts and 400 schools, you know, basically sought, you know, seeked out my dad and was like, okay, that's like legit right there. So I ended up coming second, had a good week, and that's really how the, the recruiting process started going. And so being able to sit there and have the coaches watch me over three, four, five different tournaments, different showcases, four or five different places in the country, they're really looking for that consistency. They want to make sure that the one time I saw you is not a fluke. How consistent are you? How, how often can you do it? And then they can get a good feeling to sit there and say, okay, come for an official visit, went for an official visit, and they offered me a scholarship, and a week later I, I accepted. So it's a, pretty, it's a pretty cool feeling to be a week into your senior year and know where you're going to school. But a lot of, I mean, and at the time you're, you're going through it, and it's almost as if you don't know any better. So you just know I'm going to work and I'm going to keep working. And I explain to my players all the time that, you know, you're not missing anything. And I always try to use my own experience to help them in any way possible. And so, you know, there were a lot of times on a Friday night where my friends would say, hey, come on, let's go. Let's go to, let's go to Zach's house. Let's go to Chase's house. Let's go. But guys, look, I got I to gotta run, I got to throw, I got to lift, and I got to hit. When I'm done, I will text you. If you're still out, I'll meet you. Like 75% of the time, they were still, they were home. Yeah. They weren't even out anymore. So I, I wasn't missing anything. I think yeah. that's what I try to explain to my players is that you, you're not missing anything. You, you don't know any better because you're entrenched in it at the moment, but you, you just, you're not missing anything. That's hard for a high school kid to wrap their minds around. Though. I know, I mean, at least for me, I was not prioritizing things with intention at 16, 17 years old. So impressive that you were able to do that. Um, transitioning into college, sounds like it was a struggle at Notre Dame, obviously a top program. Mm -hmm. What was your mindset going into it? Were you like, listen, I was the man in, in my school. I was a man in New York, like all American. I know, you know what I bring to the table. Um, I'm gonna go excel at Notre Dame. Or were you more of a mindset of like, hey, I know it's going to be a battle. I know it's going to be tough. It may take me a year or two to play, but you know that's my goal. What was the, what was the approach? I think it was more of. I definitely didn't think that I was going to go in there and step in right away as a freshman because that just wasn't the pedigree there. They had really turned the program into a national powerhouse, and it really was a wait your turn. And and I wanted to play professional baseball, and so I saw Notre Dame as you know the best stepping stone. <clears throat> to get to the pros. And that's what they were doing. They were just pumping guys. So clearly development was a big part of their, their situation there. And I, I knew that was gonna be part of my development because even though I was an All-American, there still was a certain amount of experience and a certain amount of at-bats that I hadn't had yet just because I wasn't playing nine, 10 months out of the year. I, still, I was only playing six months out of the year. And, and no matter how many swings I took in my garage, I could not replace game experience. So I knew that was gonna be all part of the process. The hardest part for me was, going back to what I was saying before about pride and ego was, there is this pride and ego that goes from like, well, don't you remember who I was? Like, I was an All-American and you're not gonna do this to me. 
And that was really the driving force behind when I left being able to prove to my coaches, my former coaches that like you made the mistake. And even that was a process in and of itself, but we got there. I know your, your work ethic now. I know what you preach mm -hmm. is just, you know, be the hardest worker in the room, all these sort of things. And you answered it a little bit, but I, I've also seen a stat that I saw that you posted was like, I think 6% of high school athletes go on to college mm -hmm. level to compete. Uh, were you in the 6% because you just always had that work ethic or was it because you were a very, very talented individual? Which one would you attribute it more, more so to? It started with talent for sure. Yeah. Just being, being bigger and stronger. And I had the work ethic of, as I said before, you know, following my brother's footsteps. My brother played in college. My dad played in college. So there was this, you have to work at your craft, mm -hmm. but it was relatively easy for me to translate the work that I was doing into a game. There wasn't a lot of hardships at first, to be honest. And I, and I didn't know if it was because I was, it was, it was that easy or I was that talented or because I had put all that work in that it made that situation easy. But the first time that I really dealt with adversity for sure was, was getting to college and, and then going through that whole situation and then transferring and having to prove myself all over again and having to win a job there. And I think, you know, it's interesting because I always tell my players now when they're headed off to start their college career, I said, look, your career will, ha will never be easier than it is right now. Like it's just, it's just going to a whole another level. And so I really did have to learn a, a, a whole new level of work ethic and resiliency get it once I got to college. Mm -hmm. Is that the thing that you find most young, talented players that, that hold them back? Is they're just, they grew up with the talent and they just don't have the work ethic to kind of keep pushing and make it to the next level? Absolutely. I, yeah. I use the example all the time. I would rather you hit for 10 or 15 minutes every day, or we'll take any craft for that matter, but I'd rather you work on your craft for 10 or 15 minutes every day than once a week for two hours. And a kid will look at me and say, well, but two hours is longer than 70 minutes. And I go, yes, but the compounding effect of doing it every single day to enable that mind-body connection, to enable that information recall, that's the part that we you can't mimic anywhere else. Like two hours a, once a week does not equal that information recall when you need it the most. And so being able to help them understand that, and some kids just don't get it, you know? And so I try to instill that in a, seven, in a seventh grader and an eighth grader and a ninth grader, but the problem is that that seventh, eighth, ninth grader who things are just falling on deaf ears, now they wake up in an 11th grader and they're like, oh, I want to do blank. I'm like, you're not out of time, but you don't have as much as you used to. And like, you can't just make up for that. How much of your, of your business with that in mind is like you coaching the student athlete, the kid, if you will. Mm -hmm. And how much of it is, Hey, mom and dad or whoever, you really got to get them to focus on X because they're not understanding that, you know, they have this finite amount of time to get to where they want to get to. And they're not doing the things they need to. Like how much of that is on the kid versus 
you know, you're talking to the parents behind the scenes for the you know, extra push? I think it's probably 75-25 because understanding the time that needs to be put in and, and the quality work over time to build that mind-body connection is one of the biggest keys. And so I am constantly shifting perspective. It's just part of my job on a daily basis, part of being a teacher, part of being a mentor, part of being the person who that they, you know, what they turn to when they come, you know, on a Sunday night, you know, when they've had a bad weekend. And so it's constantly shifting that perspective. And so the way I explain it to, especially the parents, and a lot of times the parents are, they, they're successful in their own right. But when it comes to sports, and we get deeper into this too, when it comes to sports, when it comes to strength training, running, working out, skill work, whatever it is, we just, we want to push it to the side and we just want to have it be in its own little world over here, away from schoolwork and science and math and music and art and all this stuff where it's like, no, it's all the same. It's learning a skill and, and putting in that quality work over time. And so parents will say to me, you know, I don't understand. He's, you know, he's been seeing you for three months. And I go, well, we've been meeting, we met 45 minutes for 12 times. So really it's not been three months. It's been four and a half hours of work. Mm -hmm. You look at it as three months. I look at it as four and a half hours of work. That's half a work day. So I say to the parents, when you went to work, like, tell me what you did the first four hours of the day. And tell me if you broke that up over three months, would you still have a job? No, of course not. Because <laughs> they'd be like, you're lazy. You don't get your work done. And so I think it's helping the parents understand, helping the kids understand just what needs to be done. And that the blueprint is already set for us. We either follow it or we don't. You two can understand that from all the, all the work you guys put in. I mean... Yeah, it's cool. I mean, you guys, like, you post your Stravas, but you had to freaking run for, for the Strava to get the information. So it's the same thing. I mean, your swing is not going to work if the balls are not hit off the tee, if the work is not put in, if, if you sitting down and studying YouTube, you know, watching your favorite players consistently swing, the, it just, it's not going to happen. That's just true for anything in life, to your point. It could be a podcast. It could be, you know, running 100 miles like Chase. Mm -hmm. It could be, a, you know, a coach. It could be anything. Put in the work, compounding interest. Put your 10,000 hours in, if you will, mm -hmm. and over time, you'll succeed. It could be quicker than some other people. It could be longer than some other people. But at the end of the day, like, the simple thing, the simple equation is time and effort equals results. And you really can't skip that, especially in athletics. And I think... It's never been easier than it is today to separate yourself from your competition. I mean, I'd say at any age, but obviously I deal with more high schoolers. So, but you just have to do it. I tell my guys all the time, like, I don't, I don't need you to have the best day ever, but I just need you, you can't do nothing. And being able to separate yourself from the competition has to be one of your, your goals every single day. Because I always said, I knew there was somebody out there working harder than me based off of the fact that they were just growing up in a better environment from a weather standpoint, but there's no way in hell that I was going to know them. Mm -hmm. like, there's no way in hell that I'm going to know the person who's working harder than me. 
And I can look at kids all the time and be like, I know for a fact, he's working harder than you. He's working harder than you. I go, how does that not bother you? And so, you know, when you read stuff like the average high school kid spends four and a half hours on social media in a day. Like, how does that not make you salivate as a 16 or 17 year old who says that they want to go to the next level? Knowing that all your peers are doing nothing and you can't even put an hour of work in on a daily basis. And so that's what I mean by shifting perspective. Like I'm constantly having those conversations all the time, which is why I'm, you know, part of my pillars that I stand on is that I'm constantly trying to lead by example because I'm not going to be the coach that sits there and says, do this, do this, do this. And like, they know I'm not doing that myself. Mm-hmm. My credibility would be gone then. Talk to me a little about your journey after Notre Dame, after Elon, into the big leagues, so you get drafted. I assume you come up through a farm team. Did you have a good, positive experience of going through this, or was it like, were you always just kind of not to where you wanted to be, which is ultimately, you know, playing for the Rockies, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, talk to me a little bit about that experience. You learn very quickly it's a business. Yeah. And your whole life, up to that point, it was, if you produce, you play. If you produce, you play. If you produce, you play. If you hit, we'll find a spot. And then you get drafted, and depending on when you get drafted and what your signing bonus is and who got drafted higher and all this stuff, it just doesn't work that way anymore. And so the quicker you learn that, the more of an enjoyable experience you can have. And so it was pretty clear to me, like, I, I had some good years, but it, was, it became pretty clear to me that, like, I wasn't getting to the big leagues. No problem. And... So what I started to do was I started to really embrace the situation that I was in and take a step back and have a bird's eye view and go, bro, do you understand the people that you're around on a daily basis? Like they're, they're going to be future big leaguers. You're getting coached by former big leaguers. You're, you have access to any question, comment, concern that you might have. Like, so I just started becoming a sponge. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to think that, you know, the, the hardest I worked and the most I learned was, was after I be, actually became a professional. It was actually I got drafted. And it just started to really help me understand and believe, like, what was I being set up for after ball? What was I being set up for? Like, this was a career. And even if I played till 30, I mean, it's still a finite amount of time. And so I just started to really take in all the information and know, okay, I want that. I don't want that. I would never teach like that. That sounds good. And really started to hone in on what my best qualities were and then being able to take that experience and, and bring it to my players and, and kind of set myself up for what life after ball was going to look like. Mm-hmm. And did you know that was going to be coaching? You just kind of had a, a knack for it, a calling, a passion for it? Yeah, I would say when I started working with a when I started working with a sports psychologist for myself, but then I also when I started to transition and start to realize that I'm working with humans and I'm going to be working with individuals of all ages, of all backgrounds, of all home situations. I really started to use him to help me become the best teacher I could be and figure out how does a how does a 9-year-old learn has an 11 year old learn has a 14 year old from a a, a a very stable home what about the 14 year old who's coming from a broken home like that's 
how is, what is our 30 to 45 minutes of time going to look like? And it made me really appreciate the human element and the human connection part of becoming a teacher and a mentor. And that really is what started to propel me in that, in taking my business each time to a new level. Did you know when you were in, would you make it to single A, double A? Single A, high A. High A. When you were in high A, were you like, this guy's going to make it? This guy's going to Yeah. Make it? There were a couple guys. Did you tell? Yeah. Well, there were a couple guys who were going to make it just because they got $2 million signing bonus. And there are guys who made it just because they're just, they're just special. They, even at that level, you're like, you know what? Like, maybe if I had all the chances that he was getting, I could, but... I'm not, so I'm just going to sit back and watch, and this is going to be really special. Was that tough for you mentally to go from being the guy to getting drafted and going through the, the whole process and then recognizing and realizing quickly, like, maybe this isn't where I'll end up? It was hard, but as I said, as it started to, like, come to the end, I really started to love what I – what I was doing in the off season, which was teaching players, working with players, being a mentor, and knowing that this is something that, that I could do and be really good at. And if somebody's coming to me and asking me for help, then first and foremost, that's an honor. And, and second, like, let's, all right, let's get to work. But I will, what the hardest thing was <clears throat> when I got done with ball, it wasn't so much that I didn't make it. The hardest part was that pride and ego started coming back. So when people called me and said, hey, Chris, I want you to work with my son or I want you to work with my daughter, and them not knowing that I was a professional baseball player, that was like, that got me the most angry. I was like, wait, how do you not know my background? And then it finally switched for me one day. I was like, hey, man, take a step back. These people are not calling you because you're a former professional athlete. They're calling you because they heard that you're really good at what you do and they want you to help their child. And that's where like, I never thought about that ever again. And even still to this day, there's people who I'll, we will have three, four, five, we'll be three, four, five sessions in. And they're like, by the way, what's your background? And then we get into it and they're like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Like college, pro, like all this stuff. And, but it's not even, that's just part of the journey that has helped me get to where I feel comfortable and confident that anybody who calls me, like I'm, as long as there's somewhat of a halfway meeting point, like we're, we're gonna be good. I love it. I love it. So you transitioned, you drafted in what, 07? Mm -hmm. Drafted in 07, you were in single A for how long? So I ended up playing with the Rockies for four and a half years and then like another year and a half. So I retired at the end of 2012. Okay, 2012 into 2013. Now you go back to New York or were you down here? Went back to New York and was doing my business up there and gotten reconnected with who is now my wife. We met in college and I tried to date her every year for like four years. And <laughs> she gave me one date a year and um, then we lost touch while I was playing and she was moving around and then we, we came back together for a, like two minutes and then lost touch again and then got connected in May of uh, 12, and then um, 
moved to Charlotte in June of 13, and we were married in November of 13. I love it. And you just kept the business rolling full time when you moved down here? Came down here and was a little naive and had some rose colored glasses <laughs> that I would be able just to transition business from New York straight to here. And so when I saw that wasn't going to happen, I actually was going back and forth to New York like every week for five years because that was, I still had a business there and was trying to grow it here and it just wasn't growing very quickly. And, um, in, in the meantime of all that, I ended up getting sick and, um, in January of 2017, I found out I had thyroid cancer. And so having something to be in control of my life, I just was like, you know what? I just got to stick with New York for now. Like as much, as hard as it is to travel back and forth, it's the only constant that I have right now. So I, I kept doing it. And then finally in October of 19, I shut down the business in New York and came down here full tilt and just bet on it. And it's been good. Thank God. Yeah. Talk us through a little bit uh, with the health side. Mm -hmm. I know that was obviously extremely impactful for you, obviously from a business perspective, from a personal perspective, I'm sure it was you know, terrifying to find out the news we've talked about in the past, but mm -hmm. kind of talk us through that, you know, when you find out that news and, you know, what you were kind of going through mentally. When you're three years into your marriage, you know, when you say you're, you're nuptials and you say in sickness and in health, I mean, it's, you say it, but you don't really know the impact. You think, oh, I'm not going to deal with this for 50 years. And so three years later, three years into it, everything starts going to shit. And you're not the same person. And it all started probably right around Labor Day of 16. I, I never had anxiety in my life, ever. Like even all the time I played, all the inconsistencies of transferring school ball, whatever, it didn't matter. I just, anxiety was never a thing. I never lost sleep over anything. And my wife was getting ready to leave for a bachelorette party. And I looked at her and I was like, I don't want you to go. Like, and she's like, what do you mean? I was like, I just, I don't know. I don't want you to go. Like, I just, I feel really weird. I just don't want you to go. She's like, babe, you'll be fine. Like, I'm, I'm only going for the weekend. And so she leaves and I just didn't want to be alone at all. So I called up my two best friends, two of my best friends down in Miami. I was like, I, can I come down for the weekend? They're like, yeah, of course, come down. So I went down and we had fun and enjoyed it. And when I got back, like every two weeks, something new popped up. So it went from, I don't want to go to work. I don't want to work out. I can't get off the couch. I don't want to have sex. I don't want to do anything. Like it was just like all life was just taken out of me. And so here we are. And again, you're so new into your marriage that you don't have the, you know, you don't have the communication skills yet. You think you know how to talk, but you don't because these are just, I don't know what's going on with me. She doesn't know what's going on with me. And so finally we went and we were out at a wedding in California with some really close friends of ours from college. And one of the friends is a doctor and she looked at my wife Paige and she's like, look, there's something wrong with Chris. This is not the person that I know. It's not the person I love. I really think he should go home and get checked out when he gets home. Just from talking to you. Yeah, just from being with me. This out. Wow. Yeah. So I came home to Charlotte, went to the urologist, and they did a whole bunch of tests, and my testosterone was like 100. Wow. 
And I said, okay, great. And they're like, well, we're gonna give you these synthetic pellets. And I was like, well, wait, hold on. First of all, like, why is my testosterone 100? I'm 31 years old. And Sorry like, to interrupt you. Mm -hmm. For people who don't know, and I know you have a background in this, kind of explain the normal range of what testosterone should be in a healthy 30, 31 year old. Should man. probably be in the upper eights, 800s, 900, maybe 1,000. And we, we can get into this too, but the range is like from 300 to 900, which if you're 300 at, you know, at 77, okay, fine. But like, so like that range is way too big to begin with, but yeah, we should all be eight, nine to a thousand, especially with, if you're working out, if you're eating right, if you're getting sunlight, like if you're doing all things you should, like it should be up there. And they couldn't give me an answer why it was so low. And so before I pump myself with these synthetic pellets. I went home and I'm reading all the side effects and the first side effect is like infertility. So I call the doc back and I go, I'm 31 years old. Why, why, why do I take a chance on infertility? He goes, well, do you want kids soon? And I was like, no. He's like, well, okay, but we can reverse it. I was like, no, dude, like, you're missing the point. So I had still been going at the time back and forth to New York. So I hit up a few more doctors up there. This one doctor kind of gave me a reason as to why. So I started you know, doing a little bit of testosterone to help get that back up. But in the meantime, I still just wasn't feeling right. And so on December 13th, went to an endocrinologist and after four or five different doctors, she was the first doctor to actually put her hands on me. She puts her hand on my neck and she goes, do you know you have a lump in your neck? And I go, no. She goes, you don't feel that? And I go, no. She goes, okay. She goes, lay back. I want to do an ultrasound. So I laid back, she found, she did an ultrasound. She found six tumors that day. And she's like, I want you to go get a biopsy. I was like, okay, cool. So literally the day after Christmas, I'm in New York. Um, went and got the biopsy done. My dad came with me, got done with the biopsy. We're walking out and my dad's like, how you feel? I was like, I have fucking cancer. Like I hadn't even gotten the test results back, but just in, Relay, replaying those two weeks of what had just happened, even the four, in four months even, I was like, this is so wrong. Like, we're not supposed to be here the day after Christmas doing this shit. So, um, you know, my dad trying to be the optimist. I was like, no, 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 man. Like, we'll, we'll get, you know, it'll be fine. We'll get it figured out. And so January 5th, 2017, ironically, I'm in the gym. And I get a phone call from my doctor. And she's like, I'm sorry, Christopher, but you have cancer. And I just blacked out. I don't know. I mean, she talked, but I don't remember anything. And um, yeah, man, whole life, literally whole life changed right there. And so that, you know, sparks a whole nother group of doctors and tests and end up having surgery in March. And they took out my whole thyroid and then they took out a whole bunch of lymph nodes because it had metastasized to some lymph nodes. And so the problem with thyroid cancer is when you have your whole thyroid taken out, it's this very small organ that we just don't really pay attention to until it stops working. And so your thyroid controls metabolism, sleep, hormones, stress, cortisol. Big regulator, right? Big, huge yes. regulator, yeah. And so when they take it out, or if it's not working, they, they give you synthetic thyroid hormone, which for most people, it does work. And... So they put me on synthetic hormone and then we fast forward to, you know, March. And so a perfect working thyroid, 
on a number scale was probably between zero and four. And what was so ironic about the whole situation is that mine was still working perfectly, but I had no choice because I had tumors all over it. And so it was, it was messing with me in different ways, which is how we got to find out. So now here my thyroid is gone and they're giving me this medicine. And again, at the time I, I'm brand new to this. I have no idea about anything. I'm, so I'm just listening to doctors and science and medicine and paying attention to all of it. And so I went in for my radiation and they did some tests and they were like, okay, um, do you know your TSH is 32? I was like, no. She's like, your doctor didn't call you? I was like, no. She's like, you should probably call your doctor. So I called my doctor and my doctor just wouldn't call me back anymore. She wouldn't call me. She wouldn't get in touch with me because most of people diagnosed with thyroid cancer are women. And we obviously are so different and we work in different ways. And so smaller doses of thyroid hormone will work for women. But there's so many other factors that come into it for men, i.e. testosterone. They have to take into account how much muscle mass you have because at the end of the day, thyroid hormone is supplying energy. So the more muscle you have, the more energy you have to supply. And all these things just weren't taken into account. And so I'm on this dose here I am, 6'4", 260 pounds, on the same dose as a woman who's like 5'2", 100 pounds. And so my bodily functions, brain function, gut function, all this stuff, like it's just declining. Like, and I don't even know why or how. You just felt off for months. Mm -hmm. And that was the main reason. Yeah. And so now... Crazy. I go the whole summer. So I, get, I have all my radiation treatments and I go the summer... And then I call my sister-in-law, who works up in Boston at um, Brigham Women's. Yeah. So I go up there and I meet with an endocrinologist and he does blood work. And now my TSH has spiked to 88. And so here what we are. Is, supposed what to be, is TSH? Huh? What is TSH? TSH is thyroid stimulating hormone. Okay. And there's also a couple of ones, T3, T4, free T3. Like this whole panel should be looked at all the time. Mm -hmm. And so TSH, the higher the number, the lower functioning everything is happening. So that's hypothyroidism. You want a low number. Yeah, you want a, yeah, you want a low number between zero and four. And if if we start creeping up into the high single digits, like we're sending people to the hospital. Mm. And so you're at 88. So I'm at 88. Yeah. Oh, and I shit. didn't even realize this, but I had put on like 45 pounds. Didn't even realize it. And got on the scale and I was like 305. And wow. Yeah. And that's how low functioning you become, that you literally become a shell of yourself. And so my doc up there puts me on a, a ton, of, uh, ton of meds and starts kind of creeping down a little bit. But the problem is that because it's called thyroid stimulating hormone, think of it almost as like fertilizer. And so the problem is, is that in the meantime, there were still cancer cells left in my body that we didn't get out because we didn't know they were there. And it spiked all this cancer growth again. Basically feeding it mm -hmm. to grow. Yeah. yeah. And so here we are in, you know, March of 18, I'm back in the hospital having another surgery. All these lymph nodes get taken out. So I ended up having three surgeries. And every time I thought, okay, man, we're at the end. Like that was rock bottom. That was rock bottom. That was rock bottom. Like there was just a new rock bottom around the corner. 
and I am a, I fully admit that for the first two years of my diagnosis, I was like the token victim, man. I would sit on the couch with a pint of ice cream in my lap, like looking at the, like crying at commercials, not understanding why all just biochemistry is just all fucked up. Like all these things were just happening and I would sit there and I, but again, I, I didn't know any better. So I was just listening to doctors and science and medicine, just waiting to feel better, wait to feel better, wait to feel better. Like not advocating for myself at all. And when you're sitting there just waiting, you are, you become a victim and it's super easy. And so here I am and I would be outside and I'd be seeing these people who are just like severely obese. And I'm like, why me, not them? Or, you know, whatever. And it's just, there was so much anger built up. And so, you, so then you got to start working through that. And finally, it was probably January now. And I remember, took my shoes off and it was like 40 degrees. I took my shoes off and I went for a walk barefoot down the street. And for the first time in a while, I just stopped and was just super present and trying to just be one with nature. And it was the first time in a long time that I had actually heard the wind in the trees and I heard some birds chirping. And I just had a serious conversation with God and I was like, look, man, I, I appreciate that I'm still here and I, I, I appreciate the grace and I'm, I just made the choice. Like, I'm not gonna be the victim anymore. Like, it's not gonna happen. And everything just kind of switched from there. And I started living almost this life of dichotomy where I know I'm sick, but I'm gonna live my life as if I'm not sick. And I'm just gonna go and I'm gonna push because all these doctors said, don't push yourself. And I got worse and don't work out so hard. And I got worse. So I'm gonna take my athlete background and I'm gonna take some mindset and I'm going to shift my perspective and we're going to start doing things my way. And it's been like that ever since. And I wish I could say that it's been beautiful this whole time, but you know, it, when you are dependent upon medicine, you have to take into account things that are going to happen or not happen. So my philosophy is if I can put myself through enough hard by choosing it, then when my sickness rears its head, hopefully it won't be as bad as it yeah. could have been. And it's been, it's been a crazy journey, man. I mean, I still, we still have cancer and there's two tumors we watch. And really the hardest part is the hypothyroidism because it's just not in your control at all. And if the meds stop working or if your body does not want it that month or whatever, I mean, I'll spiral like crazy. And, you know, I had an episode four months ago where I slept 30 hours in nine days because my biochemistry was just so messed up. And on day six, took an Ambien and slept for like 45 minutes. And so then you really start, you get into this like hallucination period where you have no clue what's going on at all. And the only thing that I knew was just go to work and just work because mm -hmm. that's the only thing that felt real. And the other thing that felt real was in the middle of the night, 3.30 in the morning when you literally just want to go slit your wrists, I would just go and kneel and pray by my girls' beds because that's the only thing that felt real too. And, you know, that's one of the things that always brings me back because throughout this whole time, 
out of a possible, let's say, 24 symptoms, I've had 23. But the only one I haven't had is infertility. So to have two daughters throughout this whole process, like they are continuously, you know, I'm in awe and I'm in wonder of what it, it is and what it could be. And so even when I'm out of my mind, like even just the smallest glimpse of them or the thought of them, like I'm able to at least have some sort of presence. Mm. It's incredible. That's, that's a crazy story, man. My mom actually had thyroid cancer mm -hmm. as well. She has no thyroid anymore, no more cancer. Um, I think the good thing with thyroid cancer is it's relatively treatable, mm -hmm. more so than other cancers. I hate to hear, so you, you still have active cancer cells. Yeah, so I have a type of cancer that's called tall cell variant. Okay. And so 4% of thyroid cancer diagnoses are, is tall cell. Okay. And so it's just a much more active mm -hmm. cancer and then you throw in, you know, man, testosterone, <clears throat> it's just, you know, it's still there. I mean, I, I go get my scans done every five months and yep. It's pretty, it's pretty black and white right now with the cancer. Like if it grows, we go get it because mm -hmm. there's no treatment for it. Mm -hmm. um, and if it doesn't, then we move on to our next round of scans. Yeah. I remember her and even to this day, now that she doesn't have thyroid, she has to take medication mm -hmm. daily. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is the regulation, man. Like things were just in crazy flux where mm -hmm. she would be crazy hot, crazy cold yeah. and within, you know, 10 seconds of each other. Yeah. Um, you know, she couldn't control her hunger and like all these other things. She yeah. gained a lot of weight as yes. well. And like all these random things were happening. And so I can only imagine like in day-to-day -day life where you're not in control of these things, these variables, and they're fluctuating, how incredibly frustrating that could be because you're doing all the right things, yeah. but your body's saying, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. And I think that's what's so wild. And so I've really adopted the idea that if I can get as close as I can to Eastern medicine, Western medicine, and my spirituality being as intertwined as they can possibly be, then like that is the best chance I have mm -hmm. that day. Yeah. And I, I just can't, you know, I joke all the time, you know, these guys who they just push this mindset and this mindset and this mindset, this savagery, like you can, we can all be savages on our own, in our own way for sure. But if your biochemistry is not balanced, if you are not at homeostasis, mind over matter does not work. It does for those nine days. I could have read every David Goggins book. I could have done everything. It would not have mattered. Mm -hmm. And so being able to sit there and go, Hey, look, like, this is going to be a part of me for the rest of my life. That is something that I had also, I've had to endure that and basically come to, you know, I've had my own peace with that also. And so if I can sit there and live my life on a daily basis, and if there's one person who can see me or hear me or listen to me and they go, wait, okay, like, I don't feel good, but something's better than nothing because I do nothing and I don't feel better, then like, that's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Holistically, what's been the best remedy for you that's made you feel better, whether it's just something simple like, you know, still training hard, not dialing it back, or whether it's something as trippy as like, you know, 
taking some herbs or doing mm -hmm. ayahuasca or any any of these journeys i don't know what you've mm -hmm. experimented with i'm sure maybe there's been some things like that holistically anything that jumps out is like that actually changed my life for the better through this journey working out for sure continuing to train hard continuing to to push myself and and, and push my mind and push my body i mean I, I know, between meds, I take six meds every day for the rest of my life. And mm -hmm. I don't know, fifth, 14 different supplements. And I think the, one of the best things that's helped is getting in the sauna for sure. Just feeling cleansed. Um, I can very much relate to your mom. I, I cannot be cold anymore. I can't like, even my internal temperature is lower than it used to be. Like I, my internal temperature is like 97.2 now. Like yeah. that's what I normally am at. That's crazy. So like cryotherapy, you know, seeing my boys in their ice barrels, I'm like, good for y'all, man. But there's, I just can't do it. Like it's just, I just, because it just takes me way too long to get back to regulation, to get back to homeostasis. So how do the better, man? So like sauna's really helped me a lot. And Reading, meditation, yeah. just, you know, I, I believe in systems and I believe in systems more now than ever. And they're just non-negotiables. And you, if you, you have to have them and people still look at me and they're like, I know you're sick. Why you work out so hard? And why are you this? And why are you that? And, you know, in the past people used to ask me, did you work out? And now it's, how was your workout? Cause it's just known like six days a week, it's, it's done. And you know, waking up at 4.30 every day and reading the Daily Stoic and reading the Bible and reading a couple pages of, of another book that I'm at and getting my electrolytes in, taking my pre-workout, taking my vitamins. Like this is just, these are just, and being at the gym by 5, 5.15, like it's just, these are just non-negotiables because I don't have a choice anymore. I think that's the hardest thing that, that I've had to come to terms with is that I don't have a choice anymore. And so people ask me, how do you do it? And I go, I have to, because it's the only way that I'll survive. Mm -hmm. Touching on the systems piece a bit, we got connected through uh, Jacob Zemer, mm -hmm. uh, ironic through, I, f I forget exactly how, maybe Instagram or he was yeah, like- Yeah, just IG, I think he was posting some of your stuff and then he said something about Charlotte and I was like, I looked you up and I was like, oh, you're in Charlotte, cool, let's go. And we got connected, we did a lift and yeah. you know, had, a, had a day. Talk me through the system aspect of it. I know you touched on it briefly, but you know, you're somebody who I see you know, on Instagram and via text and whatnot, just dialed in. Mm -hmm. Like health issues aside, just dialed in. Super early mornings, getting your training in, working all day, being a dad, being a husband, doing everything. Like mm -hmm. kind of talk through how you approach and how you schedule your day and how you approach your system because you have so many variables in your life from dad, you know, husband, et cetera, to health, to, you know, your training, like kind of talk through how you approach the strategy behind the systems that you have in place. For me there, I think you have to find out like what your pillars are that you're going to stand on no matter what. And it takes time. And I think people, I think part of the issue is that people, especially today, it's just so easy to see what other people are doing. And you're like, oh, I'm gonna take a piece of that. I'm gonna take a piece of that. I'm gonna take a piece of that. But before you know it, like 
it's still not your own. And so if you're able to sit there and, and get your pillars, and I, I, have, I have four pillars, and my first one is human connection. I, I love people. I, I believe that we are spirits having human connections. And so the more human connection I can have, like it helps me thrive. And being able to help a person, talk to a person, smile at a person, whatever it is, it, it might make their day better, but I, it makes my day better. And so the, the, the quicker I can get that human connection, the better. I think it's so important for a person to know their why and to have that, that North Star that when things are dark and you might be able to see it, it's not shining as bright this time. Like, does, how, how does that keep you going? Knowing that well, it will just take round numbers. 50% of your days are not going to be the best day ever. Can you continue to go? Can you continue to thrive? Can you continue to push? So being able to know your why and, and, and have that North Star. And look, the best way I can describe it is so much of my health journey, I have been underwater. And so I ebb and flow, but I'm always underwater. And so anytime that I feel like my head can come above water and I can be above the surface, that is now a part of me. It's done. That, again, going back to my non-negotiables, like I'm, because I can't go below the surface again. I've been in the darkness so many times. And the only thing about the darkness is it's a hell of a teacher when you let it. But people won't let it because they're scared of it. But without darkness, there is no light. And so that then brings me to my next piece, which is I truly believe in unconditional relationships. And what I mean by that is whether it's work or family or my, my spouse or whatever it may be, my wife, are you willing to, be, to do things unconditionally and know that you might not get something in return? Because I feel like today, everything is, there's just so much transaction going on today and everybody has a, an edge and everybody has a piece that they want. And so are you willing to be unconditional? And the, I think the best way I can describe it for that is I am willing, and I, and I tell this to people all the time, I'm willing to plant trees knowing that I might not ever get to sit in their shade. And I'm cool with that. And, and that is part of your legacy. That's part of understanding like who you are and who you want to be. And, and that then motivates you to continuously be who you, who you strive to be. And then the last piece is I try to lead by example. And so by leading by example, I have, I've, I've adopted my four G's. It's grind, grit, grace, and gratitude. And those are four things that I live every single day. I, I'm, I don't say this because it's a victim thing. I say this because it's a real thing. My life is a grind. It is hard. And there's times that I choose my heart, and there's times where my body and my mind go, I don't care, I don't care what you want to do today. This is what we're doing. And this is how it's going to be. And 
But if I tried to push that away, if I didn't embrace that, things would be a million times worse. Mm-hmm. And so being able to then grit it out, and grit's a real thing. I mean, don't have to tell you guys, okay? Marathon, 100 mile, like, grit is a real thing. And if it wasn't real, there wouldn't be books written about it. But the problem is that people are not willing to push themselves enough to find out what grit is and how much grit do they actually have. And it's just, to me, grit is just wanting it more than either who you were yesterday or if you're in a competition, the person next to you. And being able to harness that as a superpower. Mm-hmm. Grace for me is, as I touched on before, like God has shown me a lot of grace. I mean, I think there's plenty of times where I have walked into a doctor's office and they have pulled up numbers on me that they've never seen before. I'm like this hypothetical situation that they learned about in med school. Like, like how ridiculous of a number can we throw out there? Like and a like, house episode. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting on their table. And so if, I'm, if I've been shown that grace, like it's, only, it's only fair that I also show that grace. Because as much bad news as I've heard, there are still people out there who, has heard, who have heard worse than me. There are people who, they get the cancer diagnosis, and then the next thing is, but there's nothing we can do. There's people who have cancer, and they don't get the ability to, to hop out of bed in the morning. And so, yes, I... People look at me and they're like, well, Chris, glass half full, glass half empty. And I was like, no, 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 it's not about, I just have a glass. And as long as I have a glass, that means I'm, I'm vertical that day. And I've opened my eyes and the first thing in my mind is gratitude and like, let's go. Like whatever the day is gonna bring, it's gonna bring, but it's better than the alternative. And so because of that, I live in gratitude. And it, you know, I, I put up a post the other day. Gratitude is, it's, it's a skill, it takes time and it has to be practiced. And it's one of those things that the people who you're able to live in gratitude by acknowledging when you are not showing gratitude. When you're in a situation and the first thing on your mind is negative or, the, or, or you can't shift perspective or look, we're all gonna have bad shit happen to us and that's all part of life and it's okay. You know, through suffering we emerge. I truly believe that my pain now has a purpose. So on the other side of pain and suffering is strength and wisdom. And how ridiculous of me would it be if I don't use that somehow, some way, not only to make my life better or my wife or my kids, but anybody who I'm honored enough to sit there and say, you know, you want to have five minutes of a conversation with me? Like, awesome, let's yeah. go. That's probably my favorite thing about you, man. It's just your, your you know, yeah. It's probably my favorite thing about you is like your 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 positivity. Chase is turning the AC off. Um, your positivity around your entire situation. Like they say, the ultimate you know act of of self care is creating a life you don't feel the need to escape from, and you mm-hmm. wake up every day knowing it's going to be tough. And you're like, let's go. We're going to do it anyway. And having that positive mindset and that passion for perseverance that I would say that you have is is admirable because a lot of people go through very very difficult things and it's super easy to say, you know, woe is me, or, mm-hmm. or why me, why not this person? And, and you wake up every day and attack it, and you know, that's an that's a admirable mindset to have for sure. I think that, you know, it's interesting because there are times where it becomes overwhelming because I do live it on a daily basis, 
but there are times like this where I, I speak on it and it replays in my, my head and, and I get to share it, that it becomes overwhelming that it's been as long as it has and, and I've been through as much shit as I have. And, but I'm also grateful. And I know people look at me like, well, how can you be grateful? Well, like, because in, in, a, in a very odd way, it has made me a better person. And I say that knowing that, yes, I'm still here. So I'm, I'm fortunate enough to say that, but it truly has made me a better person. It's made me more empathetic. It's made me more sympathetic. It's made me more understanding. It's made me more compassionate. And when you can shift your mindset from victim to victor, everything can change. I love that. I haven't heard that before, victim to, to Victor. I love that. It's almost like, too, for you, you're, it's like your calling is to, is to educate people. You've had a tough go in a lot of different aspects, from athletics to health to all these different things, but you come out the other side better. And it's like you're, you're going through these things not on purpose, but for a purpose. Mm -hmm. And you're coming out the other end and you're saying, I've dealt with X, Y, and Z, but, but here's the mindset to have. You know, here's a different perspective. Here's a different way to look at a, a, an issue and turn it into, you know, a lesson learned to then go ahead and make yourself better and all those around you. And that's an incredible thing to do. And to your point, it's, it's not easy, um, but it's so impactful when you do make that decision. When I think, and because I've accepted the fact that, like, this, this is my journey, I'm able to sit there and take a step back and watch people who are doing incredible things like you guys. And like, I'm just, I, I'm a fan, I'm rooting. Like I, I really am rooting for you guys. Like, because what is more beautiful than watching somebody find their purpose, find their why, and like, go for it. And I think, you know, there are times where I look at my doctor after, you know, I get blood work done every three weeks. Uh, sorry, every six weeks. And there are just times where I just, I don't wanna go get blood again. And we have another appointment and we get more stuff. And there are times where I, I just look at her and I go, how the fuck am I supposed to do this for 40 more years? I'm 38 years old, but we're gonna do it. Like it's just, and, and it's okay to have those questions. And I think that's part of the problem that people have is it's just one or the other. Either you're so positive or, you or you're like, you're, you're too negative or no. Like it's always gonna be the balance and it's always gonna be understanding that the choice can be made. You're allowed to have a bad day. You're allowed to have a bad moment. It's, it's the reaction to it and it's the behavior around the feelings. Like our feelings are not going to change. This is, we are born with them. They are in our DNA. It's a matter of how do you acknowledge them? How do you work through them? And then how do they then benefit you as opposed to be a detriment? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I feel like it's a bit serendipitous that you have this perspective and now you get to work with young folks who totally don't have this perspective, right? They're, you know, when we were these, these kids age, seventh, eighth grade or whatever, from, probably from as young as, you know, as whenever they want to get started with coaching, which could be seven years old up to, you know, college players or whatever it may be, you feel invincible. You think you're on top of the world. You think nothing's ever going to take you out. And you live life day by day without thinking about the future consequences and like, what are my 
day-to-day -day decisions going to do to me down the road? How do you implement that into how you work with your athletes? I mean, is that a big part of it? It is because they want to feel like that invincibility also is them controlling time. And we can't do that. Time is going to go on no matter what, whether we like it or not. So I'm trying to help them make the best use of their time that we can. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's almost as if the, the approach I take is almost the same as you know food, everything in moderation. There is enough time to get your studies done, go to the gym, get your skill work done, and like, if you enjoy playing video games, go play video games. Like, go ahead. But the difference is, is that you are not allowed to, and, and, I, and I do this exercise with them all the time. I will literally sit down and make them tell me what they spend their time doing. And then I can sit there and show them that you spent 21 hours on video games and you spent seven hours on baseball. You are three times better at video games. Whether you want to believe it or not, you're three times better. And then I will say to them, what are you actually, what are you better at right now? And they, because we're having honest conversation, they'll be like, oh man, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm leveling up in the game. In the game. <laughs> yeah. And so it's just helping them understand that there's time for everything. And like, you can do it all. Like, read the book. And you know, there's one book that I, I started reading when I was a junior in high school. It's called Mind Gym. It's, you know, one of the first sports psychology books out there. And I, I make as many of my players read it who will do it because I still read it every January because it's just such a cool way to start the year off. There's just so many cool things in there. It breaks down visualization and confidence and just the ability to make your career yours and how you approach it from a mindset and knowing that if I approach it from that mindset, like the physical will follow. It doesn't work the opposite. Mm-hmm. You didn't run 100 miles and then, be, and then your mind was like, oh, wow, what did we just do? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, because your body is, it, it will shut down before your mind. Oh, yeah. And in, in any aspect, I don't care how, how small of a time or how long of a time, like, your body will say no. And so it's, it's being able to work through that stuff. You don't want to do your schoolwork? Fine. Like, find, find 10 minutes. How, to do, how do you do 10 more minutes of schoolwork today? And then build upon that. And so being able to help them kind of find who they are mm -hmm. and find what they like to do. And then at the end of the day, just be... That's the beauty of the fact that I've already had my career. I'm not living through anybody that I work with. So if you want to get the work done, great. But I'm not losing sleep because you didn't do your homework. <laughs> it's just funny when you're talking about from a kid's perspective. And I'm curious. So I've read uh, the book Grit. I think it's Angela Duckworth. Mm -hmm. Great book. And grit is my favorite characteristic that, that I like to talk about. Do you think grit, you know, especially with these young athletes that you're working with on a daily basis, is that something that can be taught or is it something they innately have or they don't? I think it's a little bit of both. I would, from my personal experience, I think if you innately have it, you're, it's because like your family brought that out of you, whether it's birth order or whatever it may be. I think it, 
but it's a skill. I think it can be worked on. Mm. It's a matter of being put in that environment that you have to actually work on it and show it and prove to yourself. And, and because you're doing it for yourself. Like if you're sitting there doing it for your parents or for me or for, and, I, and that's why I tell my kids all the time, like, please don't do it for me. Because I promise you, I am not taking credit, just like I'm not taking blame. Like I'm not. So if you, if you strike out three times, like I'm not taking blame. I feel sad for you because I've been in that situation. Like, let's, let's take inventory and move on. And if you hit three home runs, I'm happy for you. And let's take inventory and move on. Like, it's all just data along the way. But it's how you react to those situations. And in the heat of the moment, in the heat of that battle, in the heat of that workout, in the heat of that final exam, like, how, like, how bad do you want it? Like, that's, that's where working on it like really comes into play. Yeah. I mean, I, one of my clients, um, he just ran the Bighorn 100 miler. Mm-hmm. And that was his third ultra this year. He did a 40 and then a 60 and then a 100. And even just, just hearing him explain it, he finished it in like 29.30. And it's 42 miles out up 21,000 feet, and then 50, sorry, 48 out, up 21,000, and then back 52, down 20,000. And just he, the way he explained it. <laughs> Fucking brutal. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. Like, that, that's insane. <laughs> was like, the way Eric was explaining it, I was like, oh my goodness. It's I was like, like that's, it's those type of things where like, I look back and I'm like, all right, I have to lift way harder tomorrow. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But I he's that. like, yeah, man, he's like, He's like, yeah, he's like, you got to grit it out. He's like, honestly, the hardest part was probably like, with like 10,000 feet left, you know, my hamstrings were just like really cramping. He's like, but then I got, you know, then I stopped and I got some bacon from a cowboy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love Nowhere that. but ultra, bro. Right. It's just like ultra stories like that. And I think that, that like, that's so what's funny. so cool for me because again, like I've had experience that nobody's, that nobody can have, but also like I'm living through people that like, I know I, I physically can't do a hundred miles. I, I wouldn't be able to do a marathon. Like I just, and that's okay. So I'm going to live through other people in that aspect. Like I'm going to, and I'm going to love it. I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm going to, I want to hear about your grit and I want to hear about your mindset. And I want to hear how, how you were puking your guts out at Boston marathon. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I want to hear all this stuff because like <laughs> we're here to talk about it. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's share. Yeah. Dude, one of the coolest things to that point, one of the coolest things, and I talk about this all the time, was the 100-mile ultra I, I paced him for. Like, I had never been to an ultra or seen it or really, like, truthfully, I, I never had a desire to do mm-hmm. one personally. Um, and then I went to that, and it was just, like, the people, the the mindset. Like, he was whispering to himself. Of, maybe he thought he was whispering. It was pretty loud to me <laughs> yeah. while we're running. You know, I am strong. My knees are strong. Yeah. Like, I'm good. Like, at mile 72 or whatever it was when we were, we were in I it. I was and, 12 hours in, bro. I didn't know who I was talking to. Yeah, point, I love so. it. But, <laughs> but to that point, it's like, you're right, man. Like, the mindset, the grit that goes into doing these amazing yeah. physical feats. I, I love how you framed it or worded it earlier is that the mental comes first. Mm-hmm. The mental will drag the physical. And I think that's such an um, important thing that a lot of people maybe don't necessarily realize until they go through it and i think that's why to your point we do these difficult things to be better you have a chosen suffering 
100 mile ultra, you know, a 500 pound deadlift, mm -hmm. a marathon, whatever it may be. So when the unchosen suffering comes up, you're able to handle it. You've been in that dark place. Mm -hmm. You're you're better equipped to you know get through it and get to the other side. And I think it's such an impactful thing. When when you sit there and you you realize that you surround yourself with a lot of like-minded people, but that can actually fool us into thinking that there's that many people out there that are that like-minded. And it's just not the case. And so there are times where you got to take a step back and realize like you're surrounded by some pretty cool people. And so the, the, the ability to, to share and swap stories and maybe get a little bit of inspiration from, and maybe they, that intrinsically motivates you to have a little bit more motivation yourself. Like there, like, I'm not going to lie. Like knowing that I was coming on this podcast and knowing that I was going to be sitting with you guys, like that time trial I did, bro, I was running. <laughs> like up until that point, I clearly had been jogging. <laughs> and I think I texted you that. I was like, I was running like fucking hard. <laughs> and it was just one of those things where I, I was like, it. okay, but like that has unlocked a new level of perspective for me to be like, okay, now I know what that feels like. And so... I say it all, you know, again, I love social media, but I also, I can't stand social media because the problem is, is that we truly believe in osmosis in watching other people do stuff. And then we just, and if we've watched it enough, we almost can convince ourselves that like, well, I've done that too. Yeah. I'm like, no, you haven't. Or I can do it fairly easily. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Not understanding the amount of time and work and preparation that has gone into that. And that's one thing that I play, tell my players all the time, you know, anybody I'm working with. And, you know, one of my goals is I really would love to start working with more adults because I think there's so much that I've gone through that translates to, to adults who in any aspect of their life might, might feel lost or, but especially on the health side or, or self-advocacy or whatever it is, like people who, like your mom, who have gone through stuff and like doctors don't get that. So you have to find a community or one person or two people that sit there and go, no, 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 I totally get what you're saying. I totally feel you and I understand. And like, maybe I can, maybe this will help. Maybe this will help. Maybe that will help. And so I tell my players all the time, there's, there's four or five things that we have to do. It's preparation, execution, take inventory, accountability, and then ownership. And if you can work through those five things, like you are going to come out better. Like there's no way you can because at any one of those times, if any one of those you want to sit there and just push off or make an excuse for, like the end result will always be that like you're still looking in the mirror knowing that you did not get it done. Mm -hmm. Do you treat uh, an adult athlete and a child athlete any differently in the way that you communicate with them? Like do you have to dial back sometimes? Because I feel like it's easy to say – if your adult athlete doesn't do the workout that's on the block, like, what the fuck? Like, what are you doing? Yeah, are you the same exact way with the kids, too? Absolutely, because it's, it's all about expectations. And so expectations have to be set, and they constantly have to be checked in on. Because at some point, I, I, if, if I start caring more than you, we have a problem, and I'm done. 
I've cared enough about my own career. I've, I've hit over a million balls in my life. So like, I'm good on the ball. I'm good on swinging. I'm, you know, I even joke all the time. Like, I don't want to pick up your balls. Like I've already picked up a million of my own. And so helping them understand that when we first met, this is what the conversation was. These were the goals that you said you wanted. And so you're here because I'm going to hold you accountable to those goals. And if at any point in time, our expectations have changed, just let me know. And I tell my players all the time too, like the day I stop talking to you, that's a problem. Like, don't like you want to sit there and, and you, you want to get mad at me because I'm the one telling you that you're not doing it right. But at the same time, I'm also the person who's going to help you do it right. Like if I'm bothering you, then okay. It'll really bother you the day that I stop talking to you because that means I just don't care anymore because you stopped caring as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. So what's next for you with like the coaching thing? You just want to continue to obviously build the business, but you want to start working with more adult athletes. Is that kind of where you see everything transitioning? Yeah, I would love to work with adult athletes or even, you know, people who suffer from thyroid disease, people who are just bouncing back from cancer or have cancer. Um, I am in the middle of getting my nutrition certification and you know, just there's so many things that, that I've had to learn and go through. Like for instance, I can't eat red meat anymore. Hmm. Like as much as I love red meat, I I can't eat it anymore because just can't process it. Yeah. There's just like a digestive glitch when it comes to red meat and breaking it down and, we, we finally got to the bottom of it, but literally for a year at, at random times, it turned out to not be random, but at random times, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and just go puke my guts out. Mm. Mm. And so do, you know, some tests and some trial and error and, and things like that, come to find out that like it really was when I would have like too much red meat kind of building up and it just wouldn't happen. So, you know. How do you get 320 grams of protein in a day without, you know, <laughs> eating red meat? So, like, <laughs> exactly right. Is that what he has you on right now? No, I'm not with Jacob anymore. No? No. I'm all on my own now. Solo. He helped me. Yeah. Absurd. yeah, because that's, you know, because that's what I was starting to learn. It's like, you know, I would go do my in-body and there was just like this crazy fluctuation. And, you know, part of it was I started running more and, you know, it was up to like, eight, 10 miles a week. And before I know it, like I'd lost like a pound and a half of muscle in each of my legs. I was like, well, like I can only, I can only run so hard and lift so hard at the same time. So if I want to run for my heart, then like something's got to give. It's like, all right, we'll just stop buying protein. So yeah, I want to like, I want to be able to help people in that way too. And, you know, you know, do the one-on-one nutrition coaching and just, you know, for people who sit there and say like, Cause I'm not normal. Like this, like there's nothing normal about this. That I wish, you know, I wish there are times that I could just pop anything in my mouth and know that my body was going to take it and move on with my day. But so I want to help people who sit there and, and realize, like, you know, what, look, like I might just have to be on something different. And my understanding of of, of that different, I think, can be beneficial. I think that's a good place to wrap. You got yeah. anything else? No, man. This has been this has been awesome. Appreciate you coming on. Like you're somebody who just radiates positive energy, such a positive mindset, and you know your story's pretty incredible. A roller coaster from what was it, 04 to 
to now between baseball and getting yeah. drafted and you know the health scare and all that stuff so just you know really appreciate you coming on it's a an awesome time to you know have these types of guests like yourself and just learn from people and super insightful sessions so appreciate the hour hour and a half with you and you know, looking forward to the next one. Yeah. Very, yeah. very I, powerful, brother. I appreciate you. Appreciate no, I appreciate you. guys. Like the, you know, to the fact that you guys asked, and you know, I'm honored, man. Yeah. Where can they uh, check you out? Should they find you on IG? You can find me on IG at Chris Vasami. You can. Uh, my website's VasamiTraining.com, and um, if there's anybody, you know, anybody out there who again needs anything at all, any questions, like please feel free reach out. Um, I'm happy to talk. Love it. Cool, brother. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you so much for your support on each and every episode of the Hybrid Human Podcast. It really means the world to us. Make sure to follow, like, and subscribe to the channel. Stay up to date with new content moving forward.